0: With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, YWales. My name is Siva Avari, managing partner of YWales Solutions, and I'm excited to have a great episode for you all today. I'm joined by my fantastic co-host and friend, Alan Matheson, founder of Golden Pear Capital, and our featured guest, Matt Diebel, uh, lead, head, uh, algorithmic, and research lead at Odos. Matt, great to meet you.
2: Great to be here. Thanks.
1: So let, let, let's get started. What, what is Odos?
2: Yeah, so Odos is a DEX aggregator. So we aggregate not only all the DEXs in the this, in this space, but also all the DeFi, right? So lending platforms, uh, CDPs, collateralized debt positions, really any contract on chain where you can exchange one token for another, we seek to aggregate into one platform and then find the most efficient route from any token to another
1: awesome
3: yeah it's pretty pretty intriguing on your website um i noticed that it's like odos looks for non-linear paths uh to execute trades and i do have to admit i scratched my head a little bit until i was poking around with the product which is really fantastic it's really neat um but yeah, do you want to do you want to go in a little bit more into detail about you know there's so many Dex aggregators at the at, out there at the moment. Um, what how, like how is Otas different? What are what are the non linear? Absolutely, yeah. um, so that, that, paths that I think make it really uh, I think often
2: hard to describe. Uh, it really comes down to complexity. Oftentimes, especially on these cheaper networks, the best route, the route that gets you the best price, ends up being extremely complex. Um, and one of the reasons we started building Odos is because we found that existing solutions didn't really find these, uh, these paths, right? And so we, we we've developed a way that could find these paths. And I think that is probably best shown visually rather than just trying to describe. So maybe now can uh, actually demo... The,
1: uh, maybe before you get started with that, could you maybe explain to kind of users and listeners, you know, the traditional paths of how people are doing this today without Odos?
2: Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, so there are other aggregators. Um, so there are all, our, all our alternative platforms that go through and uh, try to aggregate all the dexes, and uh, they can find routes as well between different tokens. And if the, the route is fairly simple, then you'll you'll probably be fine using them. But actually, a lot of volume goes through individual DEXs. So most individual DEXs will have their own front ends that use only their pools. And uh, a surprisingly large amount of the volume just goes through those. So the aggregator market share is actually quite small, uh, likely just because of a lack of uh, um, awareness about what 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 it actually is and what they do.
1: And usually the people are aware because of their preferred decks, basically. Um, so, you know, I stumbled upon your website and I was poking around and one of the most, the thing that just jumped out to me was your visualization. I mean... Not only do they look beautiful, uh, they actually are very informative. Um, do you mind maybe pulling that up here and kind of walking us through what you're, what we're seeing, uh, where that power of capability is actually a differentiator for you guys in the market?
2: Absolutely, yeah. So it should be up now. Does everything look good? Yep. Cool, yeah. So so this is uh, our visualization on the right here. On the left, you put in uh, the trade. So right now this is uh, routing one ETH to die, and it's finding the best route on Arbitrum. And on the right, you can see our visualization, which is a Sankey diagram. So it shows the flow from uh, ETH on the far left all the way through all these DEXs to Dai on the right. And so each color, each little segment showing the flow is actually a swap or interaction with a contract. And the color and legend at the bottom denotes which decks or contract it's going through Um,
3: and each token. What's the, what's the gas gas impact? Absolutely. Yeah. So So that's, that's a big
2: uh, focus of the optimization. And that's oftentimes the hardest part is uh, taking gas into account. So we of course only want to utilize this extra complexity when the output net of gas is higher so that's actually what we directly optimize for, the output net of gas. And so in this case, you're trading one ETH, which is about worth about $2,000 right now. And uh, this path, all these interactions cost about 77 cents. Uh, whereas a single swap may cost 10 to 20 cents. So that extra. Can I,
1: can I compare this against a single swap in this visualization?
2: Um, so, I mean, we can put in a. Well, we can actually just switch to Ethereum.
3: And uh, yeah, I was gonna say if you're so presumably it works most effectively on like non-Eth mainnet where gas fees are, right, are lower yeah. anyway. So and the, you have the biggest a lot impact more is definitely on you, right? uh, cheaper gas chains or large trades on
2: Ethereum. Um, so like if we if we make this a big trade, then it will start right. using multiple pools again. Um, just split it twice. So not not as complex still because ETH is, of course, very expensive. Um, But even even on small trades on ETH, you're still searching all these DEXs, right? So you can see how many liquidity sources we have, 85 different um, liquidity sources we search. And so out of all those, you're getting the best price that we can find.
3: Um, And so if you go back to Arbitrum... How, how does size impact, um, like, if you did 100 ETH? Yeah, so a, 100 ETH with um, Arbitrum like is well? going uh, um, to quite dry things
2: begin. up a lot. it's going to make it such that, like, really, we only care at that point about the biggest pools, right? And so you're not seeing, like, as much interweaving and complexity, but you are seeing lots of pools being utilized. Um yeah, and there's 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 still some complexity. Yeah. It'll there's vary still, a lot the, still quite depending a bit. on the still quite a the current state of the thing. market and uh, the specific pair. There's lots of variables, of course. Um,
3: and can I ask you? You mentioned earlier that you look um, not just at dexes, but you also look at things like lending, borrowing. Platforms. How how do they absolutely? Yeah. This, so
2: a lot of um,
3: uh, a lot of DeFi platforms will work. essentially
2: tokenize positions within them. So Aave is one that uh, most people are familiar with, and uh, that's right here at the top, actually. So we can swap into Arbitrum wrapped Aave, right? So this Arbitrum wrapped Aave is Aave token that actually accumulates yield when you hold it, and so you can swap directly into it on our platform. So that would be equivalent to swapping into Aave and then going to Aave's front end and depositing into Aave. Here it all happens in one atomic transaction, and you get out your Arbitrum-wrapped Aave um, if you select this token as as output. And if it's in a pool and you can get more output out of the pool instead of wrapping it, it'll find that as well, um, which is an advantage over using the front end directly. (laughs) Well, in addition to being able to
3: go from any token into it, uh... sounds it's fascinating. So, when did you guys when did you guys launch the product? And can you talk a little bit about how it was born? Uh, why you guys decided to get into again quite a you know uh, a competitive market, um, and then you know the the yeah, key absolutely. use case so that you're trying to, to was... solve for
2: uh almost a year ago now in may of last year launched uh initially on polygon um and i think i touched on this briefly but our reason for launching was that uh we noticed that existing solutions didn't really uh search this level of complexity and we were able to develop a uh, sort of proof of concept that was and so we sort of developed that into a product that was again released last may and we've been sort of Building it up, uh, adding as much liquidity as possible, adding more chains. We're now on six chains, um, and
3: adding features as well, which we can get into. Uh, new features. Do you want to mention the six chains that you're that you're on and and how? Yeah, and a little bit more about how the multi-chain. Absolutely. Yeah. So these are the six uh, chains. We have a Ethereum, Optimism,
2: BNB Chain, Polygon, Arbitrum, and Avalanche, and those are. Uh, mostly the the biggest EVM chains, right? So um, EVM allows for quicker expansion as opposed to to non-EVM chains, which would require a lot more work, which we may go to in the future. But uh, initially we've been focusing on uh, reaching these communities on the biggest EVM chains. And so we now have six of probably the biggest uh, communities there um, live. And right now... We only do swapping within one chain. We're trying to solve that problem as efficiently and well as possible. In the future, going between chains is definitely on the table um, as well, because that, that's a question we often get is, is like, can, can we do cross chain swapping? Um, and that's definitely something we think about and, and uh, potentially will do in the future. But right now the focus is on uh, creating the best products to swap between two tokens on the same chain.
3: And are you adding other chains? Are you looking at, I mean, I know obviously you guys have a lot of background. We'll talk more about background, but a lot of the researchers that you guys, that you that you work with on a daily basis are quite involved in CK. Are you looking yeah. at, for instance, you know, Yeah, so CK we're definitely Sync looking or, at zk Sync. I think that um, one's or other chains
2: fairly that- locked in for a launch at some point, um, depending on how things go there. Um, there's, of course, Polygon, Polygon ZK EVM and others to launch later, uh, probably this year, like Scroll. Um I think all of those are, are definitely on the table. For us, it's really a question of how much of an ecosystem is there, how much of a DeFi ecosystem is there, because Odos provides more and more value the more uh, robust and complex the DeFi ecosystem is. And so uh, we, we prioritize launch on chains once they have that, that in place.
1: Um, and just, it, it just
2: also, dumb of course, question. I was just going uh, to say, it speaks to a number of users as well. Um, but
1: yeah, I was going to say dumb question, but, uh, are you guys kind of like evaluating those chains based off of TVL, you know, how much is actually uh, moving there and, and, and optimizing, making sure you're capturing your product to, to account for all of that?
2: Yeah, so TVL is is often like the simplest sort of metric you can look at, right? Uh, and like these these six are pretty much the top six by TVL because TVL does, it's it's definitely not a perfect metric, but it does often correlate to um, sort of overall activity and diversity of the ecosystem.
1: Um, yeah,
3: yeah, I mean like. You need to get solid dex volume, right? You need volume across different venues right, in order to get the most out of, your, uh, out of the tech you built, right? Um, and I know that, like, yeah. some of the ZKs at the moment, uh, you know, still just don't have even exactly. a decent number of tokens, uh, native tokens, uh, which which is, I guess... A, right, so, I mean, know, like, we, you know, we
2: can launch on any kind of chain, right? There, you know. You're just going to get, like, Pads like we saw in Ethereum, except it's not because uh, gas is expensive. It's just because there's <laughs> not really that many options to search, right? So um, that's really the the trade-off.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I know a big uh, you know worry for a lot of noobs. I guess we can qualify them when they start getting into the world Divine, and especially with dex aggregators is how do I maintain full custody or control of my funds during a swap? Uh, how are you guys uh, addressing that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a huge, uh, that's one of the, the biggest value propositions of DEXs in general, right? Is that you never lose uh, custody, you never have to trust us or uh, yep. any anyone to hold your funds, right? So you execute one transaction, it goes from your wallet, goes through all of these exchanges, it goes through a final check to make sure that you got out what you were promised, and then it goes back into your wallet. And all of that is like one executed all or nothing chunk of code. Um, and so as long as that check happens at the end, you're really you're guaranteed exactly whatever you're signing, uh, whatever exchange you're signing is going to happen or not happen. And that's, a, that's extremely valuable, especially in the context of all the centralized platforms that are um, misappropriating users' funds and, and going under.
3: Can you talk a little bit about um, how you guys, as you know, researchers in the space on the front uh, the front lines? How do you guys think about MEV, and how does MEV um, play into you know <laughs> the the diagram? Like, where's the where's the bot in the <laughs> in your diagram? No. I'm being, uh, I'm joking, of course, but I mean, you know, tell talk to us a little bit about absolutely. Like, how yeah. you, so, MED how you is view MED and, and your product? Definitely a huge uh,
2: sort of component to uh, DeFi in the crypto ecosystem in general, and it affects trades to a very large extent. And so, we are definitely looking into ways to, uh, well specifically, to make that experience better for our users. Um, and we have a couple of things in the pipeline there to make sure uh, for instance slippage is set correctly or to potentially make using private relays easier Um, because you can of course do that now, but the UX is, is really terrible, right? You, you have to open up MetaMask, go to the network and like switch out your RPC. And in reality, no one really does that even though they can. Right. So we're, we're looking at the ways. That's, that's,
1: that's a, Big point you just taught, touched on, especially again as you're exploring this space, the user experience is just—it's yeah. it's complicated, it's convoluted, and and uh, so what what have you done to optimize for that uh, to make to promote a much better uh, user experience?
2: Yeah, so um, one is I, I think this visualization is a component, right? Showing what's happening in uh, hopefully a way that's visually appealing, but also actually shows you what's going on in a way that you can kind of just look at this and see, get a high level intuition of the flow of where your money's going. Um, That's sort of just a nice to have. uh, The actual swap flow is something we've definitely focused on a lot. So making sure that the UI is uh, fairly simple. There's some information that needs to be there that is useful, but cutting down on extra information has been a big focus. Um, and then just making the whole swap flow as simple and easy as possible. And we're, of course, constrained by third party applications we rely on, like wallets, uh, that often make that process a lot harder. And that's, uh, we don't have a lot of control there uh, other than like making our own wallet, um, which is unfortunate. But we, we can definitely continue to improve in, in all of those areas. And that's definitely extremely important, I would say.
3: Well, I mean, hopefully with ERC-4337, wallet abstraction, uh, account abstraction does improve the wallet experience, but I I totally agree. But coming back to that, like the user experience, um, as Siva mentioned, uh, you know, I run a crypto hedge fund. uh, And one of the things is, especially when you're dealing in size, inevitably you end up with like dust in your wallet. And I thought that was one of the really cool uh, applications that you've built is that you can do multi-token swap for multi-tokens. So you can you know you can run both sides of that. But even just sweeping up the dust, uh, I thought it was a brilliant use case. Do you want to talk a little bit a a little bit about that? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So those are doable. You can. Those are some of the most significant features I think that were the first
2: platform to offer is multi-input and multi-output swaps. So that is taking multiple tokens and trading those all in one transaction into one token, or you can also trade into multiple tokens. And so we have these two buttons here where you can select more tokens on our UI to swap. So we can go in and we can um, we can just select some random tokens, right? Uh, and it will route all of those tokens into our a wrapped ARB, in this case.
1: Oh, cool.
2: Wow. And you can change...
3: Yeah, it's really neat. It's great. I mean, it saved a lot of time and in energy when you're... Yeah, and you can see here, the, the GNS is way
2: smaller, clean so that's up the best clean-out, right? Which, which helps on Ethereum, because we may have some random token that's going to take multiple hops to get to a token you actually want, and you can just add that into an actual swap, and sort of just have it join up... In and uh, into this final Aave wrapping in this case, but really, really any operation that needs to happen. Uh, and then we can also look at how- the, yeah, or great. sorry, did you have, yeah, we can wait to move on to that.
1: Uh, I was just going to say, how do you guys account for like slippage, for example? How, like, how are you guaranteeing that, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, I'm I'm taking the face value of the rate that I'm seeing on the aggregator, you know, how am I guaranteeing that I'm getting that best rate, for example, and, uh, you know, the slippage between that?
2: Yeah, so one thing we show on our UI, again, we're trying to minimize the information, but like you said, it's very useful information to sort of have an idea of uh, sort of the rate you're getting. And so we show this this number here, which shows sort of the delta in value. So right here, it's minus point eight 0.8%. So basically the value of the output is minus point eight 0.8% from the value of the inputs and that takes into account any liquidity provider fees you're paying uh, or any price impact you're causing or just deltas in the starting prices. Uh, and so that sort of gives you a high level idea of is this actually like a good rate or am I trading an illiquid token that's causing uh, a huge amount of, of price impacts and giving me a much worse rate than, than I should be getting.
3: I, I guess link to that um, and uh, another thing that I thought was really interesting that you guys a bit have done and I know it's uh, it's not your core but I thought it'd be really neat for for um, for viewers to take a look at is your arbitrage uh, project I guess um, I, I just thought it was fascinating can you can you maybe speak a little bit to that yeah and maybe you can you can show it as well I'm uh, Ed, like, yeah, so that's as sort as of. As a hedge fund, um, I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, we we'll can <laughs> switch over to
2: that. So that that's sort of what. Uh, oh, it didn't switch. I have to switch over to that. So this is sort of MEV in general. We, we talked about improving the UX of MEV on uh, the actual platform. Um, the other aspect of MEV is just like actual capture or participation in it in some way. And that sort of interest in that is sort of what kicked off this exploration in in some ways. Um, So Odos sort of, our entry into DeFi from sort of uh, the other uh, activities we were doing in the crypto space was sort of arbitrage, right? So we can, there's all these decentralized exchanges and you can do some really neat things sort of exactly, and there's a lot of qualities of blockchain that make it really interesting uh, compared to traditional finance, where, uh, at least to, to me, it seems very opaque and hard to sort of participate in. You need a lot of infrastructure and, and such to, to participate in it there. But within DeFi, you can really sort of get all the information. Everyone's on a level playing field, and then there's very cool tools like flash loans where you can get the capital you need to collect uh, the the profits, get the starting capital to execute an arbitrage path. Um, and so all of that led to sort of in parallel to building this order routing product, we also sort of started uh, exploring arbitrage. We did some single chain arbitrage, but then we got interested in this uh, idea of cross chain arbitrage, which seemed much more untapped because there's a lot of challenges and issues uh when trying to capture that. Um but that's sort of been an ongoing research product uh project in addition to building this main ODOS order routing product um has been building this this uh sort of arbitrage tracking research tool. And so okay. that's what you're you're seeing right here now. Um so, this is running across eight chains right now, uh, pictured here. And so, we track uh, specifically this is uh, limited to Unity v2 clones because it allows for some uh, significant optimizations in terms of uh, the, the route finding um, and arbitrage calculation. So, it's calculating, uh, I believe it's, yeah, it's right here, 34.8 million linear paths. So like, like we said, we focus on nonlinear paths for ODOS because you can get a lot of gains there. But for cross-chain arbitrage, when the, the difference is also it, often in a specific token or a specific pool, a linear path is often a very useful beginning to sort of calculate that. So that's what this tool focuses on here. Um, and so it's, it's running live. You can, you can always check it out. And it shows uh, the gross profit before gas, which is an important sort of clarifier right? But the gross profit before gas of executing this route through these DEXs. Um, and so this one is $4, uh, a lot of swaps on Ethereum. So you'd probably spend more than $4 in gas, which is important clarifier and probably why it's still sitting here. Um, the ones that are pretty big do go away, of course, because someone captures it one way or another, but it's, it is surprising sometimes how long they stick around. Um, and so we have this this leaderboard section, which is perhaps more interesting, and this shows sort of the highest ones that have been calculated. So this one is between BNB and Phantom, and you could have made a $400 profit swapping in these two pools um, earlier today. We also have a week where I guess not much has happened this week because that's it's the, this, the top opportunity is the same. Um, but we also have all time and that's where some of the really big, um, really big opportunities come in. So this one actually isn't.
1: And is this, is, is, this capturing a trade that's already happened or a theoretical time point, a timestamp of when it would have been most optimal to execute a bond?
2: Right. Yeah. That, that's an important, important clarification as well. Uh, this is all just calculated arbitrage, so it's not captured, um, It was likely captured by someone, maybe not in this exact way. Um, Eventually it went away, so someone swapped in those pools and sort of equalized them, but this is the optimal way to calculate uh, arbitrage for this specific path. So there's like, to clarify, there's like, depending on the path, there's like an optimal input through that path that maximizes your arbitrage profit. And so that's what this is calculating.
3: Um, and showing here, I look forward to the yeah. like, trade now button when you can trade your seventy-seven thousand die for the uh, six hundred and thirty thousand die. I know. Yeah. Uh, I'm, just like, I'm I'm hoping Do you want you to just X click, click trade? this yes, right please,
0: now. Boop, so like, <laughs> 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 yeah. Just
2: text me yeah so there's a lot of that's something we hear a lot because of course. Uh, that would be great, right? And it's something we're actively looking into, either uh, capturing it, it ourselves, because we're, we're not right now, we're just tracking it, um, or productizing it in some way, uh, so that people with capital, uh, since you can't use flash, flash loans here on cross-chain trades, you need capital. And that's one of the main challenges. So potentially it could be productized towards that. Um, there's a lot of challenges with that, right? One challenge is that only one person gets it. So if you're productizing it, you can only sell it to one person. You could have an auction of some sort maybe, but at the end of the day, only one person is going to actually yep. purchase it. So it's not super scalable in that respect. Um, and it's hard to guarantee the user experience because it, you don't – what? You,
3: you could fund a pool.
2: Yeah, so that's one one
3: interesting idea. That's
2: one interesting idea is like having uh, people fund pools and then we execute it and then give the profits out to the LPs. Um, That's one direction we have explored and and probably will continue exploring.
1: then that probably raises an interesting question yeah. then right
2: uh, because i mean, you're just, starting uh,
1: to get into I mean, securities and, you know exchanges and and that fun discussion and uh, as we know the current environment there's uh, uh let's just say the regulators are on a war path right
2: yeah always a fun discussion um yeah it, we that we definitely discussed that um Often and how how that affects us, it's it's not really clear at this point in a lot of ways. Um, but certainly uh, sort of capturing arbitrage ourselves and productizing that in some way, I think increases risks in that category. so that's absolutely another
3: uh, consideration there. so how how often, if I may ask, you know I presumably you've been in the process of designing, launching, having Odos for, uh, uh, you know, 18 months, to what degree do, do uh, regulators so, uh, influence your design design decisions now? Yeah, so the, the focus versus most like of the focus up to now ago. has just been building the best product. I think
2: more and more we're starting to think about that aspect of things. Um, and so there, there may be... I think, yeah, more, more and more we're, we're definitely going to be taking that side of things into account, I think, um, I would
3: say. And if I may, have you, are there, um, is that multi-jurisdictional discussion? Like, are you discussing just in a context of uh, American regulators, or are you looking at um, you know overseas regulators? Yeah, so as well we're in some of US-based your design company, discussions, so
2: it's, and and uh, American regulators seem to be the most aggressive at this point in time. Um, so the the focus is definitely on that, uh, but certainly regulations outside of the U.S. are also a, a consideration to a lesser extent. I would say. Hmm.
3: I mean, it's such a yep. pervasive um, topic. Uh, yeah. And yet, I think one of the things that that we see is that a lot of teams are considering, um, you know, some degree of regulatory <laughs> arbitrage as well. Uh, just talking about arbitrage, there's also regulatory arbitrage. Right. You don't really, you don't need the same kind of flowchart for that. But, um, but it is, uh, it's also, I think, a, a topic that's influencing actual design decisions um, and structuring decisions. How, how
1: uh, is, you know, so. since so. ODOS is a uh, is an aggregator, and you're dealing with multiple tokens here, um, do, do you have to address issues such as like network congestion? Uh, you know, when we start thinking about you know HFT, high frequency trading environment. Um, you know, fulfillment of orders in a linear fashion, or you know, single threading, multicasting, blah 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 blah. Um, how do you guys kind of uh, uh, compensate or, or adjust for those those variables?
2: Yeah, so, of course, we're, we're reliant on the network uh, that the person is swapping on and utilizing Otos on for the actual uh, finality, inclusion, execution of uh, the trades. Uh, we definitely do have to deal with the ramifications of that. Um and so a, bit, a big part of that is the gas price, right? That's that's really oftentimes what has the biggest effect on inclusion and speed of inclusion. And so setting that is definitely something that we keep a good eye on. And we definitely, I would say, err on the side of a slightly more aggressive gas price because paying a little bit more for gas is often uh, worth it to get a higher chance of a higher speed of inclusion. So on networks where uh, there's some uncertainty, which is pretty much every L1, uh, L2 is often n- now more and more trying to, like, normalize the gas price, which is great. Um, so it's usually constant on, like, Arbitrum, for example. But on L1s, it's, it's, uh, it's, it fluctuates a lot, right? And so we definitely err on the side of a more aggressive gas price to get traders included quicker because that minimizes slippage and all the other uh, negative externalities that that occur.
3: Yeah, and I think um, like ERC four eight eight four, which should be later this year, I think, uh, should also yeah. Yeah. help with the re- that kind of regulation, right?
1: Of gas prices. You, you had mentioned earlier, you know, um, um, o- ODOs is is one of a couple of projects that, that you guys have been working on. Can you kind of tell us about that background? Um, you know, I believe you're part of Semiotic Labs, what Semiotic Labs is, uh, what you guys work on, what are some of the other projects that that you've uh, developed or, or have a ha- had a hand in, and then um, why you decided to double down on Otis as, as your product strategy, your go-to-market strategy.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So Otis is a, a product of Semiotic Labs, as you stated, and Semiotic's Labs right now works on two main projects. One is Odos, and one is the Graph. So, uh, Semiotic Labs is a core developer for the Graph. So we now work on the core development of uh, uh, features in the Graph, and that's sort of what one half of the company does. And that was sort of uh, sort of the the birthplace of Odos to some extent as well, right? So, Semiotic Labs started in the crypto space by primarily just working on the Graph. And that gave an opportunity to uh, sort of explore the crypto space and uh, try to find some, some product that brings value to the crypto space. And um, we have found that in Odos and now have been sort of growing that as a, a separate project. Um, I guess I can speak a little bit to what we do for the graph. We do um, artificial intelligence and cryptography, uh, which is mainly ZK Snarks right now, research for the graph. Um, and the the various components there. There's a very complex crypto-economic sort of system that decentralizes the graph, and there's many AI problems within that that uh, need solving. And there's, of course, many applications of SNARKs to making the data uh, indexing and retrieval more trustless. So those are sort of the two areas we, we focus on there.
3: Why? Why the graph? What? What attracted you yeah, guys to so the graph? so I mean graph the, the graph is to, to, to an extremely
2: in. vital piece of infrastructure, right? So, like the infrastructure they built with the, the subgraphs and the indexing, it's something every project needs, right? And in some cases, they're not using the graph directly, but they're using the the technology that the graph built uh, because the graph is is all open source and, and decentralized and stuff. Um, so, it's it's an extremely vital. Uh, that that tech stack is an extremely vital part of the the crypto um, sort of projects and everything. So it's 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 definitely something uh, we're excited to be working on.
3: And maybe we could back up uh, a little bit. Like, tell how did you, how did you get your start? Um, both like, I mean, professionally. Um, with semiotic uh tell us a little bit more about about your own background we we plugged straight in the product rushed straight in the it's such an interesting intriguing uh visually stimulating product that uh yeah absolutely so my background is artificial
2: intelligence um that's sort of what got me uh sort of very interested in in uh, computing and programming in general um And so a a large amount of my background is studying different areas of artificial intelligence, um, spent some time uh, in NLP with transformers, working with transformers uh, before like uh, GPT and stuff today, obviously is is becoming a huge thing. Um, Also done a good bit of reinforcement learning. So that's sort of the subfield of AI where you have some objective uh, that you are trying to get an agent, uh, an actor to Optimize and maximize, and how do we build algorithms to actually do that? Um, and so that that track sort of led to eventually working with Semiotic Labs on the graph and the uh, the AI problems in that crypto economic environment that I mentioned. Um, and so that was sort of my entry from AI into crypto, uh, and now sort of from there uh, into DeFi, right? More generally, once we sort of created this Odos
3: uh, product, you went from you went <laughs> the opposite way. You went from AI to crypto DeGen, whereas I think a lot of people are doing
1: yeah, it's, yeah, uh, the, yeah. the
3: reverse uh, path at the moment. But uh, that's really fascinating. That's really fascinating about talking about the agents. Um, I was just reading about some uh, crypto applications of of agents and and reinforced learnings. It's fascinating. Um, how how do you think that AI will yeah? In time so I think there's impact, there's a lot of potential uh, overlap
2: there. I think there's a lot of ways that uh, can't really be known right now, but there's there's some more obvious ones. So like one is the actual applications we're working on right now, where you have these complex crypto economic systems, right? A lot of crypto is about building incentives uh, to trustlessly get actors and participants to do what you want them to do. Um and that sort of parallels reinforcement learning very well because reinforcement learning is studying once you have this objective that you want to maximize or this behavior you want to instill in actors, how do you um sort of design an algorithm to do that and sort of related, how do you design those objectives in the first place, such that uh, actors are incentivized to do that. Um, so that's, like, direct applications of RL right now. I think there's there's certainly more uh, sort of future-looking things, like uh, combining sort of AI and blockchain more directly, uh, which I, I don't know if I can uh, speak as much about as, as far as... Uh, how realistic that is. Um, it's definitely very interesting. I think one thing that has come up a bit is like, um, prove proving the predictions from an AI network. So using snarks with a neural net to sort of say, this is what this AI model thinks about this. And we can actually prove that that's what they think, um, or proving some other aspect of the AI training pipeline. So that I think is, is very interesting. Um,
1: yeah. So, so, since you're an AI expert, I'm going no, to throw really you kind of a little curveball here, but um, where do you see AI and LLMs kind of impacting the TradFi space um, or, or potential you know low-hanging fruit opportunities for a lot of these traditional institutions to start playing around with that technology?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, at this point, LLMs have sort of already exceeded my expectations. I didn't think that uh, you could sort of reach this Level of performance with with uh, sort of that technology. So, I really anything's game at this point. I know there's a model in relation to tradfy specifically. Bloomberg has made a model um, that I haven't looked at too deeply, but I know it it's specifically pre-trained on financial things and, and can then perform extremely well on financial things. Um, and I think, yeah, once you have this massive model that has some level of general performance, you can really do a lot with it once you can pre-train it on specific tasks. So that's sort of definitely something semiotic is interested in in general as well, in addition to uh, or in combination with the graph.
1: So this is great, Matt. I mean, I, I love what I've been seeing. So what, what else is coming down the pipe? What's some Odos Alpha that you can drop on us here that, uh, you know, for example, like myself, and I know definitely Alan is probably going to play around with your product. And as we kind of get deeper and deeper to it, we kind of want to see where you guys are going, kind of what's rolling out here in the near future.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So you can definitely expect to see the SOR platform continue to grow. Uh, more chains, more DEXs, more features likely there. Um, one other big thing we're working on and we'll be rolling out more widely soon is a pricing service. So we already track all these DEXs, all this DeFi. Like I said, literally every way you can sort of convert one token to another on chain. And right now we found, find SOR paths between any two given tokens. But oftentimes you want to know just like what is the value of one token. And so we're going to be building out this, this service that that gives that value. Right. So it looks at all the pools we track and using all of that information, it sort
3: of computes one value for, for that token. Um, And so that is it value, sorry, just to clarify, is it value or like you could pull other data, like depth of liquidity uh, you know, that, that information is also quite interesting. I think for us when we, when we take a position, we're like, well, you know, how much are we going to move the price or, you know, yeah. Could so we, I, liquidity problems getting in and out or whatever.
2: Yeah. So I think the 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 price is just the beginning. I think that's going to come first. But we're also going to be continue building out sort of a suite of DeFi data products, right? Because again, we have all these these things tracks uh, sort of I would say the most extensive tracking of, of DeFi platforms, and we definitely want to provide not only those prices but in depth pool information. Um, Some of which can potentially tie back into SOR for liquidity depth for a specific pair that might be best calculated by just sort of getting SOR paths at different input amounts. But we also definitely want to, uh, we're going to continue looking into how to best package up all of this DeFi we're tracking uh, and providing access to it through data APIs.
3: That's cool. Who would be the who would be the 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 end consumer of 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 that data? You think? Yeah. So
2: um, I think there's a lot of different parties depending on what subset of, the, of that you're interested in. Um, I think I focused on those like sim, uh single price value numbers because that's sort of um, that's very widely used already, right? So you. There's lots of sites that, that show that. You, you go to a specific token, and oftentimes you just want to know what's the value, right? And then if you know how many tokens, you can know the market cap. You can get lots of interesting information from that. Um, so that I, I see extremely wide use for. Uh, specific pool data and other derivative API products, as you mentioned, uh, um, hedge funds or other platforms might be interested in. Um, anyone taking large positions or studying or using DeFi in any way uh, will, will I think, be interested in these sort of um, statistics and information about the DeFi they're they're using. Yeah,
1: fair. Well, and and that's an interesting point you just made. Um, you know, you have the DeGens like Alan uh, and the OGs that you know this is this is a no brainer. But but what are some of the hurdles that you think you know? not only in the DeFi space and more specifically in the in leveraging DEXs and aggregators and stuff like this, but also just to get more of a retail audience interested in products like these. What do you think are some of the hurdles that need to be resolved here to get uh, you know, what we think of like more counterparty volume, more volume in general traded on these platforms?
2: Yeah, so I think a lot of that goes back to the UX, right? Making the UX as good as possible. Um, a lot of it is just going to take time i think uh sort of getting more integrated more adoption there's sort of a lot of network effects involved um in getting people to use what other people are using right so i think all of that uh is going to be important to continue to grow uh sort of retail adoption in addition to these more institutional or dgen
1: use cases Hey, if there was a button I could click to execute that four hundred and eleven dollar profit right there, then I think that's uh, a great example of a, a, a simple UX, a single transact you know, a single uh, you know, call to action. Right? Yeah. If, you know, if you know, only it was that push simple. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome, man. Well, you know, we've got a lot of investors here that that listen to this call. We've got a lot of TradFi, you know, institutional players that are huge Y and part of the community. Um, you know, how do we? How do they get in touch with you? How do they participate? And probably being involved with Odos, tell us kind of the, that formal pathways.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So we we are planning on on probably raising soon. There aren't a lot of details I can share with that right now, but it would be great for anyone interested to get in touch uh, so we could explore further. Uh, we have a, a general purpose uh, contact address at, abc at Uh so you can definitely use that email address or you can contact uh, me directly at matt.semiotic.ai at um, So both of those emails uh, will work well for, for contact. Um, you can also follow along on Twitter uh, at Protocol. um is the Odo's Twitter account and at
1: Matt Diable is uh, my personal account. Awesome. Well, thank you, Matt. We, we appreciate you being on the call. I mean, uh, I'm just the visualization alone. The minute I saw that I'm like, man, we, we need to talk to this guy because he's doing something that, you know, Alan and I do a lot of crypto workshops and a lot of in-person events, especially at yeah, chapters around the country. And, um, you know, when we're showing things just to show the power or something like that, it's really, you know i think is a is a uh, an inflection moment in a lot of people's brains you know the power of web three and kind of the net new capabilities that are coming to bear um <laughs> so really really love uh kind of what you guys are building here with odos and uh you know don't tell my wife this but you know i'll probably deploy some money here and play around with it tonight and um you know we'll 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 uh, get involved here and hopefully the, the the listeners here will get involved and thank you may for participating it's always good talking to you
3: yeah, it's great. It's fun. Congratulations, man. It's a great product and uh, really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that.
2: Thanks
0: for having me. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner, with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show and your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com.